climb up the stairs, and for me it's a climb sometimes. Uh, I say as I'm stepping each step, I need the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit. That's taken from Spurgeon. I stole that from Spurgeon, but it's still true. And we need the Holy Spirit even tonight as we listen and hear God's word. So I pray that you would be in prayer for that also. Well, tonight I would like to open up with a story from the early church. Really, it's one of my favorite stories. It comes from a young lady named Perpetua who was likely born around 180 A.D. Perpetua was arrested because of her faith in Christ. Imagine, as a father, knowing your daughter is arrested and then about to be sent to the slaughter, about to die for her faith. What fear you might have. Perpetua looked at her father and asked her father, do you see, for example, this vessel lying here as a little pitcher or something else? He said, I see it as a little pitcher. I replied to him, can it be called by any other name than what it is? And he answered, no, nor can I myself be called by anything else than what I am, a Christian. Now, tonight we're going to be talking about what we are as Christians, what we've been given as Christians, and that's our divine nature. We'll be focusing on our nature in Christ and how we know, like Perpetua, that our hope is only in the one that we are connected to. So will you read with me from verses 3 through 4 in Second Peter? The Word of God says, His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask again that your word would go forth, that it would prick our hearts, and that our consciences would bear witness that we are a part of this divine nature. Help us this evening. Help us to know your great gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I have two questions that I want us to answer this evening. Who are partakers of the divine nature? And secondly, what does it mean to be a partaker of the divine nature? So first, who are partakers of the divine nature? In 1892, Homer Plessy, a black man was charged with entering a whites-only car on the Louisiana Railroad. Plessy pleaded not guilty. He contended that the law was unconstitution, unconstitutional according to the 14th Amendment, which established that, the, that whites and blacks were equal. He was convicted and he appealed. In 1896, four years after, it was brought to the Supreme Court of the United States entitled Plessy versus Ferguson. The Supreme Court ruled seven to one against Plessy, saying that the Louisiana law did not break the 14th Amendment. There was only one dissent opinion, only one brave man on the Supreme Court. John Marshall Harlan, known as the great dissenter, wrote, the Constitution is colorblind. 
and neither knows nor tolerates classes among its citizens. So tonight we are yet again looking at verses 3 through 4 and specifically thinking about how we are partakers of the divine nature. There has always been a temptation in the life of believers to only think that certain ethnicities, certain genders or groups are able to obtain to such an honor as being a partaker of the divine nature. And I want to be clear that the gospel and the benefits therein are meant to be shared with what? Everyone. For God so loved the... For God so loved the world. That means Jew and Gentile alike. The gospel, like the Constitution, is colorblind. However, our gospel is greater than the Constitution because it has the power to reconcile and restore us to Christ. But not only reconcile and restore us to Christ, but reconcile and restore us to one another. The gospel does not see ethnicity or class structure. It does not see wealth or poverty. In fact, all of us are much to be pitied if we have not come to Christ. The gospel, the good news of Christ, cares not if you are a slave or if you are a king. In fact, the gospel can raise up the weakest among men and humble the strongest. In today's culture, however, we are being bombarded with erroneous teachings such as critical theory that says we have to speak to people based on the level of their oppression. So if you are a black man and I, as a white man, need to acknowledge my privilege of being white before there can ever be any significant conversations going further. This this ideology will continue further and further until you are either the biggest oppressor in the world or you have become the most oppressed minority in the world. And if we are to go further, we are viewed as the oppressor. How could we ever care about the oppressed? If we haven't been oppressed in a certain way, then we need to pause, re-examine how and who we are before we could ever share the gospel with someone. We should have an ear to hear how a person feels about their oppression. And if you disagree with how someone is being oppressed or feels like they're being oppressed, then you are uninformed, uneducated, and you have become the problem. This ideology, which is seeping its way into the churches, has become something that segregates instead of brings together. It's something that has separated people all throughout the church today and it is even separating our SBC right now. I want to tell you clearly church that we are called to go. We're called to go to all men and women so that they might become children of God. And our passage tonight doesn't say that he God has granted the Jews all things for life and godliness. It doesn't say that through the knowledge of him he called the white Aryan man to his own glory and excellence. It doesn't say that he has granted the black Hebrew Israelite his precious and very great promises. And he definitely, he definitely doesn't say that those who are partakers of the divine nature are a specific ethnicity or a specific gender. No, it says that he has granted who? Us. And who is this us? It's the ones who believe. It's the ones who trust. It's the ones who hope in Christ. He's granted us and called us out of our sin and into his glory and excellence. 
and all those who are free in Christ, free to have Christ, now get all of his benefits. So who is this us in our passage? Well, the Apostle Paul paints it perfectly. He says this in Galatians 3, Now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through what? Faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one. Together we are one because of faith in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then Abraham's offspring and Abraham's offspring, you are now heirs together according to the promise. Friends, We live in a society and in a world that wishes to rip us apart. They are tearing us apart where the divide is only growing larger. And we know that the only thing that actually brings us together in love and brotherly affection is the love that we have experienced from Jesus. Elitism, critical race theory, white nationalism should not exist in a church who understands this concept. I don't want to deny, however, anyone's earthly heritage. God has created us to have certain cultural and ethnic backgrounds. However, I do want to show you that we are called to go beyond our backgrounds to the divine nature. And when we talk about our divine heritage, our belonging, it is important to remember Revelation 7. And you can go ahead and turn there, be there for a moment. Revelation 7. We're going to look at verse 9. Some would misconstrue these verses. I want to show you, I want to show you about who we are in Christ. John says this. He says, After I looked and behold a great multitude that no one can number from what? Every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, in verse 9, and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to who? Our God. It's not just a certain people, it's not just a certain tribe, but it's our God. It's all those who have come and believed in Christ. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So we have seen, and I hope you have seen, that everyone who is in Christ is a partaker of the divine nature. The second question, I really want us to understand what being partakers of the divine nature looks like. What does it mean for us to be partakers of the divine nature? Well, as we think about being partakers, we need to understand one word here, and that's nature. One author writes, a man's nature is the sum total of qualities that make him who he is. It is a person's character which constitutes his personhood. Now, according to the Bible, we know, we're very familiar, that we have all inherited a nature. It's a nature from Adam. We are all bent toward self-pleasure. We're bent toward sin. And the sum total of the qualities in us is depravity. It's fleshly nature. It's sinful. 
And this depravity, this sinful fleshly nature keeps us from true fellowship with the triune God. Romans 8, 8 says, those that are in the flesh, in this nature, cannot and will not please God. Think for a second on the rich young ruler. His love for his wealth was too much to follow Christ. His nature was controlled by greed. Think of King Saul, who only wanted glory and pride for himself and would not follow the commands of God. Think on Esau. Esau, who sold his very own birthright for a cup of soup. This world has never satisfied. All they wanted was earthly earthly possessions, earthly stuff to satisfy their deepest longings. And their deepest longings were tied directly to who and to what? Their nature. And our fleshly natures, our fleshly natures are tied to sin. We are slaves to sin that really leads us to death. Romans 6.16 says, You are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience. Obedience to who? To Christ, which leads to righteousness, which leads to life. Now, let me ask this question. Is it possible for us to rid ourselves of this fleshly nature? No. It's impossible for you and I to rid ourselves of this fleshly nature. It would be easier for you to cast a penny in the ocean and then go look for it than to cast yourselves away from your sin. You can't be a good person when there is nothing good in you. For you to gain power in and of yourself to defeat sin is unthinkable. It's really unimaginable, though we all at times want to imagine it. There shall never be a point in anyone's life that they will conquer sin by their own strength. And why is this? Because their nature, because their natures prohibit it from happening. This should be a common thought amongst us. We need to understand that we are bound to our natures, either our nature in Adam or our nature in Christ. Before Christ, all we knew was sin and all we lived for was ourselves. That is why it's extremely important to understand the doctrine of regeneration. Only God can change our nature. Only God can put within you a new heart. Only God can cause you to be born again. Peter understood this concept, and that's why in 1 Peter 1, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has caused us, caused us to be born again to a living hope. Blessed are those who have been given faith. Blessed are those who have been given a new nature with new desires. At the cross, at the moment of our conversion, we receive a new nature, a divine nature. New desires and new delights now flow from us. We have been baptized into Christ's death. We no longer walk in our sinful flesh. What, what shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin so that grace may abound? What? By no means. Why? You've been baptized into the death of Christ. And now you are called to walk in newness of life with Christ. Romans 6, 6 says, We know that our old self, our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. To nothing. 
so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. In this divine nature, we have been given power to overcome, to overcome the flesh, the world, and the devil. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, if there's anything that you should memorize tonight, it's that. It says, no temptation has overtaken you, overcome you, or seized you, except what is common to man, but what? God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide what? A way of escape so that you can stand up under it, so that you may be able to endure, so that you may be able to get out of sin, so that you may shout out to everyone, there's victory. There's victory because of the cross. Now let me be clear. God does not just give you a new nature and then take it away. Right? He's not an Indian giver. He's not going to, hey, you can have this. I'm going to take it back later. No, he doesn't just give us this gift and say, hey, go figure it out. Go out on your own and figure it out. No, God also gives us his Holy Spirit. A Holy Spirit that is our guarantee for the day of judgment. He is our advocate, our comforter, our friend. When the Bible tells us to test ourselves, which it does, and I hope you are, test yourselves to see that you are in the faith, guess what? The Holy Spirit is there to whisper in your ear, yes, look at this word, look at this scripture. The Spirit and the Word of God are there to guide you like Christ guided Peter. And how did Christ, our Savior, guide Peter? What did he say? Do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, Jesus, you know that I love you. Then feed my sheep. The Spirit comes alongside us. Do you love Christ? Yes. You love Christ? Yes. You love Christ? Then go, die. Live a life full of suffering for the glory of Jesus. Die to yourself, pick up the cross, and follow him. So you may still be asking, pondering your mind, why does it matter that I have a new nature? Well, in all reality, I hope you know that it affects everything. It affects everything. It affects our desires. It affects our wills, our intellectual pursuits, our work ethic, our cares, our passions, our emotions, our relationships, our families, and our very own character. Our union with Christ's nature carries us forward into holiness. It presents to us new enemies that we never thought were vying for our souls. Some of you may be thinking, I can't give up hate for that person. They've wronged me so much. I can't give up my sexual identity. It's who I've been for so long. I can't give up being a drunkard. It's all I've known. Let me tell you, those who have a new nature in Christ don't have to continue to live in animosity toward one another. They no longer have to be controlled by their anger. Since we have been given this new nature in Christ, since we have seen Christ himself not be angry, we no longer have to live in anger. We no longer have to pursue worthless idols that distract us from eternity. Christ himself gave up his life because it was the Father's will. We no longer have to go and knock at the door of the adulterous woman. We don't have to seek out attention of others through our appearance. Since we have Christ 
nature. We don't have to place our identities in our performance, in our wealth, in our poverty, in our positions, or even in our sufferings. No, our worth is found in Christ. It's found to the one we're united to. And the fact that he has graciously given you all things for life and godliness. And just as Joseph, just as Joseph fled the presence of Potiphar's wife, we too have the ability to flee sin. Friends, if you are trusting in Christ right now, then you are a partaker of the same divine nature. You are no longer a child of wrath, but we have been shown immense kindness through the mercy of Christ. And we now have his righteousness, his right standing before God. It's been given to us. It's on us. We have the ability, not just the ability, but we have the power to forgive, to love, and to genuinely care for one another because we have been forgiven much. We have been loved much. We have been cared for much. We have the power to admit our own sin and ask for forgiveness. We have the power to forgive. Our new nature allows us to leave this hostile world behind because through God's grace we have escaped its corruption. Now as I close, I want you to know one other aspect of being a partaker of Christ's nature that I want to hit on. And that comes from John 15, 8. 1518. And it's the fact that the world will hate you. John 15 says this, and Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, you have a new nature. Because he chose you out of the world, know that the world is going to hate you. We should not expect to be greeted with kindness and smiles by the world. There's a divide. The things you now care for, things you now think about, the world despises. When you speak up for the unborn, guess what? You'll probably be mocked. When you speak against same-sex marriage, you will be ridiculed. And when you present Christ as the way, the truth, and the life, you will either be seen as a lunatic or as an ambassador of honesty. When you are Christ and he is yours, there is now a great divide between you and the world. But no, you are not alone, though sometimes you may feel alone. You have been granted all things, all things, everything you need for life and godliness. Grace upon grace upon grace has been given to you. Live in that grace. Everything you have in Christ and everything you will be is all of grace. Tonight, we have yet another privilege for being a part of this divine nature. That means you get to see a great gift of communion and receive the great gift of communion. So what does that mean? Well, Christ poured out his life for you. His body was broken for you. His blood was poured out so that you might have remission of sins. Does that not bring you joy? You get to become a divine partaker because he laid down his life for you. Take hope, believer. Take hope in Christ. We want to welcome 
all those who have believed and who have been baptized and are members of a healthy church. We'd love for you to join with us in this supper. I'm going to pray and our uh, servants will come. Father in heaven, thank you so much, God, that you are a great giver. You have given so much. You have even given us your own son. Father, allow us not to take that for granted and allow us to live hopeful, repentant, loving lives. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.